Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In Genesis 28:15 was exactly the same thing that God told uh, Jacob in, in Genesis, when he started off on this whole journey in Genesis 28:15. Okay, y'all got it? Okay. Genesis 28:15, he says Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Okay, now, Genesis 28, 15, we're all there. God told Jacob, I will be with thee. And following that, God explained what, he was, what that was going to mean for Jacob, and he explained it with three I wills. In Genesis 28, 15, what are the three I wills that follow after I will be with thee? In Genesis, what's the first one? I will keep you. I will keep thee in all places where thou goest. First one. Second one, I will bring you. I will bring you back. I will bring thee again to this land. Third one, what? I will not leave thee. Those are the three great I will promises that God made to Jacob, and they're the same for us. I will keep thee. Psalm 121, 5 through 8. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. That's the I will keep thee. I will bring thee. I will bring thee. John 10, 28. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which, is, which gave them me, greater than all, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. John 17, 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me have I kept. None of them is lost. Then I will not leave thee, just as we were, uh, uh, just listen to these promises. We just heard one, Hebrews 13, 5. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 1 Samuel 12, 22, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed baking bread. Psalm 37, 28, the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Isaiah 41, 17, when the poor and needy ask water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Now, in this verse of Genesis 28, 15, God started off by saying, behold, I am with thee. When God said, behold, I am with thee, the word behold, behold, 
it, it means look at this. You know, it could, and it could, be, it could be seen as a command. It's like a behold command. See, the word behold means look at this. And so it's like God's commanding Jacob to look at this. You know, behold, I am with thee. Look at the fact that I am with thee. Now, thinking about that statement, that, uh, that, that this, is a, this could be viewed as a command for us to behold God is with us, what are some practical ways for us to make ourselves aware of God's presence with us? What are practical ways for us to make ourselves aware of the presence of God? How do we do that? During the day. Anyway? Yeah. Okay, you look around your surroundings and you give that credit to God. You said God made that. Okay, good. What else? Oh. Ah, see, that's good. See, it's simple everyday things when, you, when you, you run into issues and you pray. Now, that goes along with Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing. See, be anxious for nothing. Now, now we are in this room right now. And what would you do if right now this chair burst into flames? Okay, what would you do? You go over there. <laughs> you go over there. You grab that fire extinguisher and you put it out, right? I hope you would. No, you'd sit there and enjoy the fire. No, you'd go and do that. So, okay. You quickly, see, see, with no warning, if that chair burst into flames, you'd quickly go get the fire extinguisher, you put it out. That's exactly what anxiety is. Anxiety is a sudden bursting of flames. That's how anxiety comes. It suddenly bursts on us and it starts to consume us like fire. It consumes what it burns. What should we do? What should we do? Quick, go grab prayer as the anxiety extinguisher. <laughs> okay? That's a fire extinguisher. Prayer is an anxiety extinguisher. Prayer extinguishes anxiety. Why? Because when we talk, when we pray, we talk to God who's present with us. When it says be careful for nothing, don't let anxiety consume you like fire. When it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, don't let anxiety consume you like fire, but quick, go grab the anxiety extinguisher. See, using prayer as an anxiety extinguisher, it makes us aware of the presence of God. Now, other ways in which, in which we can obey this command, behold, in other words, look at the fact that I am with you, of becoming aware of the presence of God. In Proverbs 3, 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, it says, he shall direct thy paths. But it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him by constantly acknowledging God through the day. You know, driving around, Lord, I need a parking spot. Oh, Lord, thank you for this parking spot. Today, uh, after church, I'm going up to L.A. to pick up an Orthodox rabbi friend. And then I'm going to be driving him for three hours down to, to spend the night at my house. Okay. Just imagine, just imagine this. Now, you know, just picture this. I'm going up there. I'm going to go up there to the synagogue at La Brea and, um, and Beverly. So if you never hear from me again, you'll know what happened. So I'm going to be, he's going to be at the corner. Okay. Just imagine I start off with him in the car at La Brea, from a La Brea and Beverly, and drive to Elkhorn. And just imagine if during that trip, I totally ignored him as he was sitting next to me. I talked on the phone <laughs> to other people. I played music that I wanted to listen to. And I just acted like he wasn't there. I mean, just I acted like he wasn't present with me. That would be so insulting. It would be so rude. To acknowledge God in all of our ways is to live life as though he's sitting in the seat next to us. 
And so with my Orthodox friend, I'm going to be acknowledging him all the way down with the drive. I'm going to talk to him and carry on a conversation with him, ask him what he'd like to do, this or that. It's the same way with God. To acknowledge him in all of our ways is to live life like that. Another way, Proverbs 16.3, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Proverbs 16.3, commit thy works unto the Lord. When we do a work during the day to pray and, and say, there now, Lord, I commit this work to you that you make it last. Okay? Clint play, prays that all the time when he does a construction job. <laughs> I walk in the spirit. Proverbs 23.17, let not thine heart envy sinners but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. See? Being aware of the presence of God is to not look at sinners and say, boy, you know, they're not married. They're just living together. They're having such a good time. But it's instead is to think, I'm afraid for them because they are one slip away from falling into the hands of an angry God. See, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, whether we eat, we think, this is such beautiful food. It's so beautiful looking. It tastes so great. You know, God is so great for making this food. See, we make ourselves aware of the presence of God by holding up the glory of God. Just like going outside and saying, beautiful day brought to us by the beautiful God, by the beautiful Lord. That glorifies God. See, Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We make ourselves aware of the presence of God by constantly giving thanks to God. Lord, my ankle hurts. Yeah. But thank you that I've got an ankle. <laughs> thank you for making the ankle. Boy, it's such an, such an engineering marvel. How did you do that? It keeps lasting for decades. Colossians 3.23 said, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. We make ourselves aware of the presence of God by doing every work we do with an attitude of, now, there, Lord, I did that work for you. Are you happy with it? Huh? Do you find it I did a good job? I did it for you. I want you to be happy with it. Do you like it? See? Now, 2 Corinthians 5.20, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. John 20, 21, so Jesus said, peace, uh, peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. John 17, 18 said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. John 16, 15, where he said, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. We make ourselves aware of the presence of God when we bring the gospel to the lost. Because bringing the gospel to the lost is the passion of God. And he blesses and, make, and we become aware of his presence when we do it. And so these are some practical ways to obey the behold command of Genesis 28, 15, behold, I am with thee. Now we see in verse 4, back in chapter 31, verse 4, we see what Jacob did as soon as God spoke to him. It says there, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field and to his flocks. Verse 4 is Jacob calling his wives. And it comes so abruptly after God spoke to him in verse 3, as it's as if Jacob is saying in verse 4, i got to go tell my wives what God just told me. See, verse 4 tells us that Jacob, well, first of all, verse he only called Rachel and Leah. He didn't call Bilhah and Zilpah because he, he didn't really view them as his wives, or just Rachel and Leah, but that's another issue. But what's important 
from verse 4 is that Jacob called not just Rachel, who was his favorite wife. Really, he was the only one that he ever viewed as his wife, but Jacob also called Leah, which shows that Jacob has finally come around to recognize Leah was his, also his wife. See, in verse 4, we see Jacob as the husband in accepting the wife Leah that God gave him. Now, it's come over a period of 20 years, took a little while. We haven't seen Jacob really honoring Leah before, except making babies with her. But as a matter of fact, we remember how Jacob viewed Leah from when Leah named Simeon, where we read that uh, Leah said in uh, chapter 29, verse 33, the Lord hath heard that I was hated. So Jacob hated Leah, and he did not accept Leah, and he did not honor Leah as his wife. But now in verse 4, we see Jacob accepting Leah as he honors her by pulling her into his confidence. Jacob has learned the hard way that the woman that he really loved and wanted turned out to be an idolater and a heartache. And this shows us in this passage here that if a man loves his wife at first, and in the first part of his marriage is like the night when he thinks he's married to Rachel, and then over time he wakes up and finds out that he's married to Leah, (laughs) that he hates, and he does not love her anymore as his wife, and he does not honor her anymore as his wife, and he wants to now divorce her, if he just stays married to her and lets God work in him, then a verse 4 will, ha- will happen when he comes around to accept her, to honor her as his wife, and hopefully love her. That's an encouragement in verse 4, because marriages that are on the rocks and heading for divorce, so many. One of the messages from verse 4 is hang in there, hang in there, and don't leave that person that you're married to. Now, what else we see in verse 4 is where Jacob calls his wife to come. And where did he call his wife to come to? The field. The field. Why did he call his wife to come to the field? His wives go there. Well, one reason is because it was convenient. That's where he was. So it's a convenient place for them to be. Another reason is that's where Laban and his sons were not. So it was a safe place to meet. Another reason, he couldn't expect Leah to go into Rachel's tent. That would also not be a safe place. And he couldn't expect Rachel to go in Leah's tent. That would also not be a safe place. So the field is a safe, convenient, neutral ground to meet. Now, verses 4 through 6 here that we're in, they're really a close-up of this inner confidential meeting between Jacob, the husband, and his wives. I mean, every time I say this, Jacob, the husband, and his wives, I want to say the wife. And it kills me to say wives. But unfortunately, Jacob had wives. But that was Jacob's issue. That was his problem. So anyways, we have to say wives. So in verses 4 through 16, they're like a family close-up meeting. And this shows a great aspect to the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is like one of those camera booms. You ever ever seen those camera booms like they have, you know, where the cameraman is sitting on the end of the boom? You ever seen those, Matt? You seen those? Yeah? And sometimes the cameraman, you know, will bring the, the boom way out. And he gets the big overview scenes, and, you know, and, and that's what the Word of God is like. Like when the cameraman goes out and you get the big overview scenes, the crossing of the Red Sea, and you can see all the, the sea and the people walking, and sometimes the camera moves, the cameraman just puts the boom, and he, and he, gets, he gets really intimate. He gets right in the face. <laughs> okay? You know why? It's not NBC, it's JBC, Jewish Broadcasting. <laughs> okay, because it gets up close, up front, personal. Well, that's what's happening here. The boom has just moved in, in here to a precious little conversation. That's precious, the way the Bible does that. 
And so it's very close, intimate conversation, and God has moved the camera right in there for us. So we see Jacob, he's just heard from God in verse 3, and then in verse 4, Jacob calls his wives, okay? And Jacob has to tell his wives what happened, what God... See, this is an... And he he tells his wives, and actually he goes into more detail than what we learned in verse 3, as he does. But this is instruction for husbands, of what it means when it says in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. See, when it says in, in Ephesians 5.25, for husbands to love their wives, it sets for us the pattern of Christ loving the church. And you ask yourself the question, what is the fabric in the relationship between the church, between us and the Lord Jesus Christ? You know what the fabric of the relationship is? <laughs> this is the fabric It's the Bible. The Bible is the fabric. The Bible is integral in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is the Bible? Communication. It's communication. It's God speaking to us. Well, what's the fabric of a relationship between a husband and a wife? Communication. See, can you imagine if the Lord Jesus Christ treated us like some men treat their wives with no communication, you know, with a perpetual silent treatment? (laughs) <laughs> well, you're my wife, but I don't have to talk with you. you know? I don't even like talking with you. I don't want to talk with you. Yeah? See, in Colossians 3.19, when it says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. When it says in that verse in Colossians 3.19, For husbands to love their wives, it did goes on to say, Don't be bitter against them. Why? Because that destroys a husband's lust for his wife. That's bitterness. A person does not communicate with a person that he's bitter against. If a child is bitter against your parents, the child will not communicate with the parents. If parents are bitter against the child, the parent will not communicate with the child. If a person is bitter against God, the person will not communicate with God. So what we see in verse 4 is an illustration of the principle of a husband who loves his wife will communicate with his wife. He will communicate his purposes, his intentions, his feelings to his wife. Now, do you think that Jacob did not really trust Rachel and Leah, did not trust them to go run immediately back to Laban and says, you know what he's planning on doing now? No, what we see in verse 4 is Laban trusted Rachel and Leah. He trusted them to keep it a secret and keep it in confidence. This shows us the principle, a husband who loves his wife will trust her to not betray his confidence by getting on the phone right away and gossiping, saying, you know what I just learned? You know what my husband just told me? See? And a husband who trusts his wife to not do that is the husband who is described in Proverbs 31, 11. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. When it says the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, it means the heart of her husband doesn't worry that his wife's going to jump on the phone and start gossiping what her husband just told her. Now, verses 4 through 16 are a picture, really, of 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. See, Jacob calling his wives in verse 4 to confide in them was Jacob dwelling his, with his wife. Some married couples, they don't really live as husbands and wives. They live like roommates who just happen to live under the same roof, and they don't hardly speak to each other. But Jacob calling his wives here in verse 4 to confide in them is Jacob giving honor as confidence. 
And Jacob calling his wives in verse 4 to confide in them is Jacob seeing himself as heirs together of the grace of God. That's a beautiful description for marriage, heirs together of the grace of God. Emphasis on the word together. You know, when I got married, I promised Cheryl, I said, you know, I'll take you to California, and I promise you I'll buy you, we'll buy two new Peugeot bikes, which we did, and they're in my garage. And then I told her, I can't promise you anything else. <laughs> Other than whatever happens, we'll face it together. There's, that's the, and the one word to describe life is grace, God's grace. We have our physical life by God's grace. We don't deserve anything, and everything we do have is by God's grace. So all of life is receiving God's grace, and marriage is being heirs together of the grace of God, co-recipients. See, Jacob calling his wives in verse 4 to confide in them was Jacob saying to his wife, we are heirs together of the grace of God grace of life. But there was something more about Jacob calling his wife to confide in, and that was by confiding in his wife, he was also assuring that his own prayers would not be hindered. See, it's wrong for a husband to say, my relationship with God is not affected by my relationship with my wife. If I don't love my wife and communicate with my wife, it doesn't affect my communication with God. That's wrong. Jacob calling his wives in verse 4 to confide in them was Jacob saying, Adam got it right. Adam got it right in Genesis 2, 23 through 24, when it says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, should we call woman because she's taken out a man, therefore shall man leave his father and mother cleave. See, a man would not say to his right leg, you know, I really don't like you. <laughs> I'm going to ignore you. <laughs> I really wish you weren't there. You know, I mean, he says to his right leg bone, bone of my bones, I love you, right leg. You know? And a man wouldn't say to, to his left thumb, you know, I don't really like you, you know. <laughs> I'm going to hide you in the palm of my hand all the time. I don't, I don't want to look at you, you know. It was nice, you know. In the beginning, it was nice. You know, you were younger. You were thrilling. You were excitement. You tickled my something. It was nice. You know, we had a nice time. But I've grown accustomed to your looks. <laughs> you were nicer when you were young. <laughs> but you don't look the same today. Anyway, and so you, you don't do that. That's stupid, right? Big no, you look at your left thumb and say, for better, for worse, flesh of my flesh, I love you, left thumb. So what Adam was really expressing was an acceptance of his wife as his companion. That's a wonderful word, companion. That's a word that God used in Malachi 2.14. Malachi 2.14, it says, yet you say, wherefore, because the Lord hath the witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. That's a great word, thy companion to describe the, the wife. The word that God used, the word chaber, for companion. You remember when we talked about uh, Bethlehem and Aholiab when they were making the, they were, they were weaving the materials for the tabernacle the, and the, the activity of weaving was chashav. And chaber is not really chashav, but it has the same meaning of weave. And so that's the word that God used in Malachi 2.14. Chaber, thy companion. God was saying that a husband is woven together with his wife when God used that word in Malachi 2.14 of companion. God was saying a husband is knit together with his wife. So what we see here with Jacob calling his wives in verse 4 to confide in them was Jacob seeing himself as chaber companion with his wife. Jacob was seeing himself as chaber woven together with his wife. You know, Jacob was saying so chaber knit together with his wives, wives anyway. So what we see here in this passage, which is just starting here, verses 4 through 16 with Jacob, is a beautiful picture of what it means for a husband to love his wife by openly communicating with his wife his purposes, his intentions, his feelings, his desires, 
not by way of an announcement, but in the case of laying the case out and looking for their agreement. In our next study, we'll see what Jacob said to his wife and what his wife said to Jacob. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, and thank you, Lord, for how you make your word to speak to our hearts, and we pray that what you've spoken to us would reside in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Jewish Bible teacher Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, invites you to a Seder and Passover dinner at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Friday, April 29th at 6.30 p.m. Cost is $25 for D.Z. Aiken's food, fellowship, and a Passover Seder message from Tom Cantor. It's Friday, April 29th at 6.30 p.m. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or go online to creationsd.org, creationsd.org.